Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bouncing Back. In case you're wondering why Tia's not here today, she's busy. So I'm standing in as your host of the day, and I hope you'll enjoy the journey and the conversation with me today. And Tia will be back next week. In the meantime, we have Janice Whitlock with us on the line, and I'm very excited about our conversation today with her. The topic of today is finding strength to live. And the reason that we wanted to talk to Janice is because she is an academic, a scholar, and a practitioner in the areas of adolescent and young adults' mental health and well-being. And she's particularly experienced in the areas of non-suicidal self-injury and suicide prevention. Janice is also a really kind soul because we had to reschedule this conversation and, um, you know, it's been going well. And uh, yeah, she's been following up with us, staying in touch. And I think after a few months, we are making this happen. So I'm excited about the conversation. But I also want to make a disclaimer that this is a sensitive topic. I am not an expert by any means and any advice or anything that we'll share on the show from my perspective would be um, just another human's perspective. You know, Janice might have more expert advice to share with us, um, but I do think in the interest of honesty, it still might get triggering. So in case you get triggered, definitely, um, you know, exit and not listen to this anymore. If you need some space to yourself, if you feel like you need help, definitely reach out to, um, you know, the help hotline in your local area. Um, We'll try to link our resources in the description below as well. But um, with that, let's get started. And again, thank you, Janice, for being here. Thank you, Lou. I'm so happy to be here with you. Awesome. Uh, So I really want to invite you, first of all, to perhaps share a bit more about yourself, you know, in, you know, anything that you're comfortable sharing with our listener, because obviously what you're doing is really niche, very important to our society as well. Um, I'm a bit curious about how you got here. And uh, perhaps if you're, if you want to share a bit more about your expertise, because you did mention earlier that you do even more than what was introduced. So it'll be great for you to share um, more about yourself with our listeners. Okay, sure. Happy to do that. Um, So yeah, I mean, I have been working in this area one way or another. And by this area, I mean, adolescent and young adults, mental health and well-being really broadly conceived for over 30 years. And, uh, you know, it's like, you don't always know exactly what you want to do when you grow up. I was the same way, except I always had an interest in uh, helping people thrive. And I always had an interest in social and emotional health and well-being. So I started off my career as a sex educator, actually. Um, I did that after college and I loved it. I thought I would do it forever because you always have everybody's undivided attention, right? No matter how old they are, what we're talking about. And it also touches on all these areas of life because our, our sexuality is also about our relationships and our capacity for intimacy and our capacity for connectedness and our just our basic human needs. So 
Uh, that then, you know, morphed into a variety of different things in that area. And then I ended up for a number of reasons going back uh, after getting a master's in public health to keep doing more in that area, going back for a PhD in human development. And part of the reason I did that, did that is because it was really obvious to me after then about 10 to 12 years that so much of the things that people were sharing with me, because one of the other things about being a sex educator is that people will come and share life stories and sometimes they're really hard, um, is that it really had a lot to do with relationships, uh, the, the, con the situations that we're born into or that we are, that we are raised up with and, um, and our sort of inherent, I don't know, our inherent sense of safety in the world, I think. So that really drove me to fascination with social and emotional and mental health and well-being. And I really wanted to work on that. So all my doctoral work was on connectedness and resilience, which we'll be talking more about today. And I really wanted to understand, especially what is it, how is it that hard, you know, dark nights of the soul, hard journeys through life, even if they're, they're kind of long, um, help us thrive. Like, how is it that humans can turn really hard things into wisdom, into care for other people, into deeper compassion? Uh, not everybody does that, as you know, like, you know, a lot of us just kind of get brittle and we, we kind of break and it does, it's not so pretty. It doesn't feel good. Um, but it's an amazing, it's amazing how many of us can at some point or another use what we have gone through to, to grow. So that I was kind of interested in that. And then the self-injury project came up in 2004 because there was just more and more reports of people doing things like cutting in order to feel better. And there was mm. almost no research on it. So mm. I started what I thought would be a small research project. And that was in 2004 or five. And then yeah. here we are. <laughs> wow. It has never, ever fully ended. Mm. It morphed into lots of other things. I also do stuff related to social media and mental health. Cause as you know, that's a question everybody has. How much is that affecting our mental health? Yeah. Complicated answer really. Mm. Um, and then, uh, uh, areas related still to sexual health and development. I still do some of that too. So that's oh. more about. Me. That's why you said there's just part of the picture. Of what, you know, what we yeah. introduced at the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm intrigued. Please tell me more. Thank you for sharing. And I think that's a, a really incredible journey because um, you sort of started from one area and you went into a, a completely different one in a way. Um, Perhaps there's still some links here and there, but I feel like if anyone hears about this, you know, the start point and the current point, they'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I thought about that. I, I'm really attracted, turns out, it's the things you learn about yourself as you age. I'm really attracted to things that make people nervous. <laughs> um, so sex, self-injury, suicide, right? Those are all things. And they're, so it's not just, I don't go there because it makes people nervous and I delight in making people nervous. It's more like I go there because I think there's an authenticity. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there's a way in which raw life is really much more visible in those edges. And that's what I'm interested in. You're like, mm -hmm. what is, what is it? What, mm -hmm. what are we, what can I learn about the human experience and the human journey that's not so cloaked in all the things that we take on as we, you know, to, to look good and feel good and, yeah. and appear professional, all that stuff. I like the stuff on the edges because I think that's where I'm going to learn the most. So I think that's why I've always gravitated there. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it, it sounds like um, your interest in this area is one thing, but 
there's a, that strength to talk about it. And today we're talking about, you know, strength, right? So yeah, right. there's that strength to actually talk about it as well, because not a lot of people are comfortable talking about this topic. And I understand, you know, for a reason. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely dive into that in a little bit. But before we go into the serious part of this podcast, I want to ask you for some recommendations just to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so as we outlined, there'll be five things I'm going to ask you. And this is our way to get to know you better and also to get some recommendations from you. Okay, this part is going to be called Have You Met Janice? So the first thing that we want to get um, a recommendation from you is a book. What should we read? Oh, gosh, well, I thought this was about things that inspire me. So I'm not, a, you do well, not feel like it has to be a recommendation for you. Yeah, but I'll tell you if it inspires them. you, that works as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the books I'm reading right now that I'm I'm really enjoying is, and I would recommend, is Braiding Sweetgrass um, by Robin Wall Kilmer. It's about our relationship to the earth, which mm. seems particularly important in this moment. And it's really, it's beautiful and really well done. Um, mm. I'm also reading um, Neil deGrasse Taylor's Starry Messenger, which is a whole another topic. It's sort of earth and heavens. So those mm -hmm. two, those two are combined. Yeah. Thank you. I've never heard of those books before. I'll put them on my list. Never. Definitely okay. interesting read. Always on the lookout for good books. Um, yeah. And feel no pressure to say these are recommendations, but share whatever comes to your mind, what, you know, sparks joy in you. So the second one would be a movie. Which one comes to your mind first? This one was tricky when I was thinking about it because I, um, I haven't watched a lot of movies. I just, I don't know. There's so much else that I tend to do with my time that I don't spend a lot of time watching TV or movies. However, I did watch recently, as I'm sure lots of you did, um, Avatar, The Way of Water. Fetus was the mm -hmm. second one. is put, And I yeah. really, really like the concepts in there. I know mm -hmm. they're, I mean, the fantastical part actually really appeals to me. But I also think there's some implicit struggles that reflect kind of us here mm. and now uh and you know the good guys win <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, in my mind the good guys win or yeah, at least they, they, they make they make wet progress so that's good and it's just really good theater you know it's just you can disappear mm. for a good hour and a half or two two and a half hours actually I think it's pretty long yeah, well, you convinced me. I I've had a couple of hectic months. I've I still haven't got around to watching it, but yeah, now that you yeah. said it, I'm gonna make it a. You're gonna try. You know, yeah, a thing on my to do list. Um, so this is a must ask question. We're on a podcast with you, but which podcast do you frequent? Well, um, I was. This also was tricky one. I think I'm gonna go ahead and recommend the Happiness Lab podcast. Mm -hmm. I really like those. There's a lot of interesting tidbits to take away. It always leaves you feeling uplifted, and there's a lot of like, oh, I didn't know that. Is like kind of aha moments. So that's the one I would take. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Uh, next one is your famous role model, or I'd like to ask sometime, if not famous, then your personal role model. Yeah, thank you for saying that because this was really a tough one for me. Um, there's a lot of people that came to mind and I'd say, you know, most of the my personal role models are personal role models. They're people in my life that I watch how, you know, how they live their life. And it's hard to do that with celebrities or anybody else, you know, anybody who's anybody who appears on the screen anywhere. You're, you're only seeing a fraction of it. So um, I have a few friends that I just adore and who's, who are wonderful role models for me. But if I am going to give a role model that's sort of out in the world that people might recognize, I'm going to go right now with Greta Thunberg. Mm. 
I, and a lot of young people, you know, there's just a yeah. lot of young people who are really, I don't expect young people to lead us into the future. That's our, our well, we're all going there no matter what, but I, I feel like my generation really has to step up and do as much as we can. But, uh, you know, members of the generation just below me and, and then Gen Z and beyond are, are really inspiring to me. So yeah, movers and shakers that are making big waves and getting yeah. a lot of blowback. Way to go. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. And all of these, um, all of these, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say recommendations, but, um, these things that you've just shared, uh, recently, they sort of have a theme to them. I think you know what oh, the yeah? theme is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's all sort of interconnected in one way or another. And I think you wanted to talk about this a little bit later as well. Perhaps we'll touch on it a little bit. So we'll save that for later. But the final one is uh, interesting to me is a course you have completed that comes to your mind that you would like this to talk about. the hardest because it hasn't been a long time since I've taken any courses. Like I designed courses. And exactly. them, but I was about honestly, to say. Yeah, the last course that I took was by a spiritual leader named Andhya Shanti. Mm. Um, and I think it was like an eight-week course and we met once a week. And oh. I don't actually remember the specific topic, but I think we were talking about um, virtues and qualities that we wanted to be able to embody mm. as we you know, go through our life. Things that we felt like we already did well, and then it's most especially areas we wanted to um, improve. So yeah, that was the last course I took. And that's one I'm going to tell you. <laughs> oh, cool. Interesting. Thank you. All righty. So that is it for this part of Have You Met Janice? I don't know about our listeners, but I've got to know you a little bit better. I sort of, I can sense your interest, you know, besides your professional work and, you know, understand a bit more about, um, you know, what you tend to spend your time on and, you know, besides your research and other work. So that's very interesting to know. And again, this is only part of who you are. We're going to get to know you even better and especially get to know your expertise better in the next part. Um, we always start our main part of the interview and, you know, sort of the, the, the key part of this podcast with uh, going broad. So the broadest question, obviously, because this show is about personal resilience, is what is resilience to you and why is it so important in our lives? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, resilience is something every human being has to some degree or another. Um, but resilience can be specific to a context. Like, you know, we can be really strong in some areas and not in others. Or And it can be also, it can change with time and experience. But, but the really cool, the one thing about resilience that's super interesting to think about is you don't usually know you're resilience, resilient until you have push up against something that causes you to use your resilience. So you don't have the experience of yourself as resilient. You often don't even know at, that you have a particular strength until it gets required. I should say resilience is sort of the, we, we say it's the ability to bounce back, but I don't really love that because it kind of, it kind of goes to, uh, it kind of references a past that often isn't the experience. So typically what will happen it's uh, is that something will an event will shake us down to our core maybe or really you know hurt us damage or take something away a loved one or a, a, you know I don't know something we depended on life on in life and by doing that it changes us 
it, it forces us to sort of step in really a lot of discomfort, usually a lot of uncertainty, a lot of confusion. These are all things that can go along with events that then require resilience. And then the experience, the human experience of resilience is then still living. It's like, I still get up. I still am alive. Like just because it feels like it's going to devastate me, it doesn't. That's the experience of resilience and resilience doesn't have to be pretty. And it doesn't have to mean you're strong. You're feeling like, whoa, I'm strong. It's not that it's, you're still here. And then, and then you're beyond still here. Then you're maybe the pain lessens over time. Maybe the feelings of hopelessness or helplessness start to slowly diminish. And you're eventually you get to the point of I'm okay. And maybe even more, I now understand I have a, I have uh, strength inside me I didn't have before. That's why mm. I don't like the idea of bouncing back. It's not about going back. It's actually, mm. uh, it's about a, not fighting the change that comes with mm. hardship and allowing it to yeah. grow you and strengthen yeah. you, even mm. when it really, really hurts. Mm. So that's the way I experience resilience. And every single human on the planet eventually ends up having experiences that sort of test their resilience. Mm-hmm. And you can be like super resilient in one area and mm. then you can have another experience. You're like, whoa, <laughs> it just floored me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we still just I, the the ground of resilience is just getting up. Yeah. It's like you're still here. Take it slow. Take it day by day and watch how the change happens. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Actually, that's a that's a uh, that's really uh, detailed and, and you know, like sort of enlightening in some ways uh, to me and I, I guess to some of our listeners at least. Uh, but the funny part about it is uh, the name of the show is Bouncing Back. And, I know. <laughs> and uh, I, I have a story to tell you. So when we were designing all the shows, we had we went through this like whole process of brainstorming the names and we were like, what should we name the show? Because, you know, like there's so many names out there that have already been taken. And we also have ideas, but we don't know if they actually like either they ring or if people would resonate with them because the show is about resilience. And I think one of the names that I really liked that didn't make the cut was um, Building Blocks because I feel like that was, you know, probably more like to me at least like and this this might go into the the misconception parts and it, again the name of the show is the name of the show but the show covers yeah. so much more uh, so yeah. i think i think it's just like a you know like a funny thing that uh, you mentioned that that might make listeners wonder yeah guys but your show is named bouncing back so <laughs> and i would say that there is there is an element of that to resilience because often you know you can just feel like you're devastated and eventually you can feel like oh, i'm okay again so yeah. that's the sense of i'm back to feeling like i can live my life and breathe again and maybe even be happy again so that's mm. the bouncing back part i would say that totally yeah fits. for sure i think for me i i you, I used to prefer the name Building Blocks because it's not about bouncing back only when it comes to resilience or personal resilience in particular. I, I feel like for all of us, it's very important to learn the, the skills or know about the topic, even when we don't really have anything to sort of have to go through and deal with uh, regard of regarding this area. So, for example, to, uh, today's topic. I have no experience um, in this area. I've I've never felt this way. And I know that for me, it might be a bit harder to talk to you about it even because I have very limited knowledge. But on the flip side, there's an opportunity for me to learn about it. 
So that's how I see resilience as well. It's not about, oh yeah, you're going to learn to bounce back when it happens, but it's more so, you know, building the little skills here and there and, you know, picking up insights when you can. So then when something happens, you have the tools already and you don't struggle because, um, well, I haven't, uh, you know, got into a situation where I have to struggle with, um, you know, suicidal attempts. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful. But I also know that for a lot of people, it's not like that. You know, it might be that little things trigger them. And for me, I, I did not deal with um, something so horrendous that, you know, made me think about having suicide or anything like that. Uh, no. But obviously, in my life, I've gone through, you know, little things here and there that definitely made me struggle. And I feel like a sort of the concept of building blocks um, really resonated with me. And I'm not I'm not debating the name of the show anymore because it's our show. We love our show. Uh, but just just sort of like a little discussion about uh, what you just said made me realize that it's, you know, this is how it came to be. And this is what the show is about, because, you know, we on our team care about all of our shows, even though I'm on two other shows. I love this show and I, you know, tune into it every now and again. So today I'm here as well. And yeah, I'm really glad to be here. And actually, you know, that that leads me to the next question to you is you just sort of debunked something that people tend to get wrong about resilience. And, you know, your line of work is also in resilience, as you mentioned briefly earlier. So I wonder if you've come across any other misconceptions. And, you know, if you want to ex expand on what we just talked about, definitely go for it. Well, that's a good question. Misconceptions about resilience. I mean, I think I think there's a number of them. One is people tend to think it's like a fixed quantity. You and you you have a certain amount, mm -hmm. and that's just not the case. It doesn't work that way. In fact, you can increase your resilience by having exposure, repeated exposure. One of the things that happens when people who uh, face chronic mm -hmm. hardship or you know periodic hardship is that they first of all, may not know they're resilient, that resilient until they meet it. And they may discover they're not as strong as they thought they might've been in the face of it. Then they may discover that they become stronger because they kind of have to go through it. And then they may discover that the next time that something happens, whether it's kind of similar or even different, that they can use some of the same skills that they learned in the previous time, which is something you you talked about kind of in the bounce back concept. Um, it applies. It's not, you know, it, it, it'll work there. And that their actual, their capacity to meet hardship in life, even independent of whatever it is, grows over time. So it's not a finite thing. It's not something you've born with a fixed quantity of and you either, you know, either have it or you don't, or you use it all up or I don't know, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. People can go through periods of where they just feel like they had an experience and it just ground them down and it they were just not resilient in the face of it at all. And maybe that's how some folks end up, some of us end up feeling suicidal, right? It's like, we cannot do this. It's just way over what we can do. Mm. And then through the course of experience, you may find that you are doing it. You are surviving it. Every day you continue to wake up and actually maybe over time, it gets a little and little easier to breathe a little mm. and little easier to be mm. human, to be mm. alive. And mm. then you're like, wow, I actually have strength. I just had no idea that I had, and I don't feel like I did have it for, for a while. So it can it can grow and morph. It's kind of like a, I don't know, it's its own entity resiliences. So I think mm. that that's, a, that's the misconception that I'll address for now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such a, such a good one because um, like, 
someone said this to me a long time ago. I don't remember who, I don't remember under which context, but it's more like resilience is like a muscle. You know, yes. it's just, just like you go to the gym to, to train your, you know, your muscle, your um, body parts. Resilience is similar. You know, if you think about the concept, it's similar to that, but it's more like it's intangible. So you cannot see the process or you cannot see how big it is. But, you know, the the more you, you train yourself or you go through things that would allow you to build your resilience, you know, the, the better it'll become. And I think that's sort of similar to what you just touched on. And for a lot of people, it's kind of like, again, I, as I said earlier, a lot of people might think I'm just going to, yeah, I'll see how my re- resilience is when I encounter something. But I, I don't think so. You're not really. Because I feel like sometimes, and this is from my personal experience, sometimes I observe um, a lot of people who are willing to put themselves in situations where they have to learn more about their own resilience and they have to, uh, you know, either bounce back or, you know, find more strength or um, get out of your, their comfort zone to to do things that, that they're just, yeah, definitely not willing um, to do and, you know, put themselves in hard situations even. Like, you know, um, I, I think I won't go into details what exactly happened, but I feel like those little things definitely help a lot of people to build their personal resilience. And I guess in the context of today's topic as well, we might go a bit even further than that. And, you know, it, the conversation will get uh, to, to a certain point, perhaps a little uncomfortable for some of us. Um, but yeah, I feel like overall it's important to to have this, to keep this in mind and sort of like have it in your back pocket at all times because it's easy to just go through your days and be like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll just live my days. I don't really worry about what else. But this is in the back of my mind a lot of the time. I'm just like, well, I mean, maybe this is my tendency to sort of like, I don't know, project manage my life or something. I'm just like risk management. It's not going to go well forever. So, you know, like might as well just like prepare myself for a the dark days and whatnot. So I don't know. I think it's just something that a lot of people might resonate with or, or some others might be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I am going to hook onto there just because one of the things I've noticed over t- the arc of time in my life is how many of us, me included, live our lives trying to avoid the things that are going to make us uncomfortable. Mm. And, and because we do that, and we don't even, we're not conscious about it. We just instinctively do it. You know, yeah. like, that person kind of, no, I'm just going to go over here. Or, if, But we do that with situations. We do that with feelings. We do that all the time. Um, and I will say that I've noticed in the more clinical side that people who have a tendency to try to live their life through what they're going to avoid, so their life ends up reflecting all the things they don't, they were trying to avoid, um, they end up having a harder time when inevitably something hard happens because as you, you kind of mentioned in a minute ago, it's gonna, you know, if you're going to live a human life, you're going to have some hard stuff. So it's actually a bit more advantageous to see if you can figure out where you're doing that, like where you're just instinctively avoiding a person, avoiding a conversation, avoiding a set of feelings, avoiding a set of memories or associations and visit them gently, Mm. slowly, like visit them, try to go seek out opportunities to be uncomfortable so that you can kind of start the process of learning how to a be with it while it's happening without trying to change it and then you know a in, in sort of take in the, the feelings of it and and do let let yourself do what people do and it kind of naturally happens to become resilient so it's mm-hmm. yeah you're probably going to be better off if you can let yourself 
gravitate to some discomfort over time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I totally, uh, yeah, I was totally looking inwards when you said that. And I was like, oh, we're going to have a hard conversation tonight. Uh, you know, when we start <laughs> journaling, you know, what are we avoiding? It's going to be hard. Just really quickly, you don't have to take it all in one fell swoop because yeah, that's just totally. overwhelming. And then you run away and you're like, never again. Yeah. Just start with a little, little piece. By little by little. Yeah. Yeah. A little piece that feels like you can do it with it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a hard conversation, but it's, you know, like you said, it's going to be worth it. So yeah, just visit it gently. I think that's, that's a really nice way to describe how we're going to go about it. Um, okay. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's new for a lot of people and, the, our show is about education uh, and you know sometimes i like to convince our audience as well so you know if if anything to take from this conversation first of all try you know try that to visit areas where you avoid uh you tend to avoid you know just gently and see what happens because yeah. i can i can tell you i realized some of those when when you talked about that i was like okay we're gonna have some work to do so you know this is gonna be a <laughs> project well it's not gonna be f- entirely fun but it's gonna be worth it just like going to the gym not always fun but will be worth it yeah exactly it is like going to the gym except you're yeah you're you're uh you're exercising sort of your emotional flexibility and your cognitive mm. flexibility and your energy yeah. Flexibility. Exactly. yeah yeah not a lot of people talk about that though i feel like that's such an interesting thing that we forget to do because you know a lot of people go to the gym but that's the the physical the work on your physical health but what about this you know are you working on your mental health and perhaps it'll you know, relate to some of the things that we'll discuss now, um, because today's topic, again, is a hard one to talk about. You know, we're talking about suicidal behaviors. We're talking about finding strength to live. And um, in the context of um, today's discussion, we really want to be, you know, just as insightful as possible. And with your work, um, I wonder how you would, first of all, define suicidal behaviors, because, and I relate to this as well. You know, I I remember growing up when I went to middle school, I saw one of my friends cut herself. Like, I didn't see see her in the act, but I sort of saw the aftermath of it. And I was actually scared for her because I... I mean, we're not, we were not close. And as a kid, I, I didn't approach her and be like, hey, are you okay? But in my yeah. head, there was this thought lingering. I was like, is she suicidal? I, I don't know. You know, I'm scared for her and I, I'm scared to see that. But I don't yeah. know if she is actually suicidal or what else is happening. Because to me, at that point, when I was a kid, I was like, she seems suicidal. But I'm now as an adult, I feel like maybe not. Perhaps that is something else, maybe a call for help. Um, so, yeah, I wonder how you would define suicidal behaviors and, you know, would, you know, self-injury harm be different from suicidal behaviors? Uh-huh. Those are two good questions. Um, suicidal behavior is, well, you can have a suicidal thought all the way up to a suicide attempt or completion, right? So there's, it's usually on a continuum. So people will have thoughts of suicide, but they won't necessarily make a plan or write a note or, or even, or make an attempt. So, and a lot of people, I mean, suicidal thoughts are pretty common, honestly, at some point or another, um, among people, suicidal activity behaviors are less common. And as you get down to the attempts, they're even less common, but they're still, uh, uncomfortably and, uh, uncomfortably common. We should definitely, we need to be doing more. And then non-suicidal self-injury is something that can look and feel like a suicide attempt to people who are looking on like a friend, um, but it's really different. And, and it, well, let me just say it, it can be a, 
a red flag for suicide, suicidal thoughts or uh, behaviors, non-suicidal self-injuries. But the distinction, and it's super important, is that a lot of people, most people who use non-suicidal self-injury use it to feel better. So the goal isn't to end life, not even close. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of that. That's why it's that's why it's really important that, that they be distinct, you know, because, mm. um, I mean, the, I always tell parents and professionals with non-suicidal self-injury that the place it comes from is a psychologically healthy and good place. You want to feel better. That's a good feeling. <laughs> like, yes, yes, we want you to feel better. Um, I want to help you feel better. It's just that that path provides some short-term um, alleviation of discomfort sometimes for people, but it's really obviously not a good long-term strategy for feeling better. And suicide, of course, is an even worse long-term strategy for feeling better. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the way I would define those. Mm, interesting. I think, um, well, I mean, obviously when, when you mentioned the, you know, the, the suicide sort of spectrum, we are from having a thought to, you know, final completion that is, I mean, we'll go into more details and, and that's sort of like not new to us. But for a lot of people, it's kind of like, well, I don't know how to deal with that information, first of all. Yeah. Uh, but then when it comes to the non-suicidal injury that you just mentioned, when you said some people do that to feel good, I'm like, well, this is new information to me. Yeah. Um, so the goal for, you know, usually non-suicidal self-injury is undertaken to feel better. So people will feel really high levels of distress or they'll mm. feel dissociated, which means they just don't have any feeling at all. Mm. Um, I mean, beyond feeling emotionally numb, which I think all of us have had some experience with, feeling really dissociated is really terrifying. Mm. Um, and so they'll self-injure in order to feel better or to kind of re- integrate with their body is what it will feel like to them. Mm. Uh, it doesn't work for everybody, but for the people that it works for, it can, it, it, you know, it can, it can be effective in the short run. So mm. it's becomes a really habitual pattern yeah. thing that people will sometimes do mm. in order to feel better. Yeah, I understand. Well, I mean, this is not fun and game, but, but um, I think for me, it sounds like there's definitely a certain level of resilience that, has to even go into the non-suicidal injury attempts that you just mentioned because you know th they wanted to feel better I, I i mean maybe this is going to be controversial but from what i'm hearing it sounds like for for those people who are even committing those uh attempts they truly wanted to work on it or they wanted to bounce back and that's their way of you know finding way back to who they were so perhaps in a way that is you know like the the example of resilience. Um, but in the context of this, uh, if you could share some thoughts on that and also uh, share a bit more about this this relationship between you know resilience and suicidal behaviors, would it would be really great because again, for a lot of us, this is new. Um, you yeah. know, a lot of us don't talk about this. You know, we don't hear about it. We avoid conversations about this. Um, so, you know, what would be the role of resilience in all of this and how does it look in real life? You know, you've worked with, you know, young adults with people before um, who actually go through such experiences. So, you know, what are your thoughts on this? So the question is, how, what is, how, what's the role of resilience? Is that the question? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I think one of the most, I mean, resilience and suicidal thoughts and behaviors are pretty intrinsically linked because the path into health and wholeness when you're sitting in that sort of forest of deep distress is through resilience 
mm. and connection and and taking risks that you might not otherwise take, like reaching out for support, mm. um, even if it feels like it's not going to be helpful or sharing thoughts and perceptions and worries uh, or things that have happened that are hidden and nobody sees a lot of, you know, a, a, a high number of suicide impulses come from hidden things. Hmm. There are things that somebody may have experienced or think, think about or experiences they've had that they really never shared, or they've only shared really, really closely and with not, without any kind of, it, it hasn't provided any relief. Um, so they might have to, they're going to have to probably be with discomfort and then reach, reach out to others or have some honest conversation with themselves sometimes around, you know, just what, like, I want to live. I don't mm. want to die. What do I need to do mm. to get better? Mm. And whatever comes from that conversation, actually take the steps to do it. So when I talk to people, young people in particular, who've been through that journey, they all describe, every one of them describes a journey of resilience. And mm. a lot of them start with having no idea that they could be resilient or that they would be resilient and certainly not feeling resilient at the beginning. Yeah. But over time, you know, over, yeah, just usually over time and then uh, over a lot of dark nights of the soul, some reaching out, some sharing of things that were scary to share, lots of sort of being in discomfort moments, they can really and do work themselves into a really different space. It's, mm -hmm. it's inspiring, actually. Yeah. It is. It is very inspiring. And I, f I feel like there's hope there, you know, and for, yeah. I mean, I, again, I have not encountered such a, such a situation, but for anyone who might be going through something um, challenging and, you know, they might have a suicidal thought or, you know, even more than that, this might just be that hope because uh, a lot of people don't know that they have the resilience to go through um, the days and, you know, like you said, go through the dark nights of the souls and just bounce back from it. Um, it's going to be so much harder compared to the usual, oh, I had a hard day. You know, I had a hard day at work. I had a hard day with my relationships. It's very different from all of that. And I think it will take so much more work and energy just to even open up to have a conversation, for example. I don't know much about um, other people who have gone through this, um, but I did encounter this one instance and it was like, it was, it was my first time like in my life, my first time ever encountering such a situation. And it was actually with uh, one of my best friends here in Melbs. Um, and you know, we, we weren't in a friendship for, for that long a few years but uh, she's definitely one of my best friends and something happened not long ago and um, I remember I, I still remember that evening because it, it still feels surreal to me now because I, I picked up the phone and you know immediately I heard crying and I won't go into the story of why there was crying and things like that but essentially what happened after the phone call is I went to her place, got her ice cream and we talked about the situation and, you know, she cried it out, you know, she felt better. And then the next morning um, I called her again because, you know, she, I've never seen her so down before. And, you know, this is my friend who's really um, sort of like happy go lucky and, you know, just really positive overall. And the next morning um, we had a call and I asked her, okay, how are you feeling now? Are you feeling better? And she said, yeah, I, I'm feeling better now. Um, and then after chit-chatting for, I think about 10 more minutes, she said, 
you know, I'm really glad you came yesterday because I actually started having suicidal thoughts. I don't know what I would have done had you not come. So that hit me really hard and I got really scared because first of all, I've never encountered such a feeling. So I've, I never felt as strong as she did to sort of like start a, having suicidal thoughts. First of all, so I have to make that disclaimer. It's, this is new to me. I'm not experienced in this area. But when I heard that, immediately I thought, what the actual heck? That was scary yeah. for her and for me. What would have happened if I hadn't picked up the phone? I don't know. So, you know, like, I, I think to me, it was like, I was so thankful that she reached out, first of all. And second of all, it was a lesson to me as well to, to learn that, okay, this could happen at any point. You don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, it was good for her that she could bounce back from the situation. Um, and it was good for me to learn from what happened in, in that moment as well. And also from, from me as a friend, just to remember to always reach out or, you know, check in on my friends every now and again, because we don't know what, what's going to happen. You know, it could be the best day of someone's life today and tomorrow something might change. So, yeah. Gosh, there's so much in there. I'll just want to quickly comment on one is wait, yay you for, for reaching out, trusting your instincts, going over. That's cool. And I, you know, it's one of the stories that I hear a lot. Like when you talk about, talk to people about their healing journey or, or their like before their, their heal journey and they're just sort of in the really hard part, um, having other people notice you, care about you, reach out to you, uh, even if they don't know all the details, sometimes they don't even necessarily know that you're feeling so bad. But just if you have an instinct that somebody in your life is just, I don't know, give an instinct, follow it, just reach out and say, hey, thinking about you, it can make all the difference in the world for somebody yeah. who's really on a precipice. So, so that's awesome. Mm. And then the other thing is I think people are, they don't, one of the things you discover on that journey is you're stronger than you know. You really are. And the will to live is pretty strong, you know? So that's why millions and millions and millions of people can have thoughts of suicide and never act on it because mm. ultimately we want to live it's, so you have to things have to be pretty systematically bad or you know impulsively bad usually for people to actually get to the point where they do in their lives um and people other people really make a difference like we just said mm. and then the other thing is um you know as i said said earlier people can grow. Uh, so those that experience of just having to meet that hardness, mm. whatever the situation was for your friend, just whatever made her feel so bad, uh, probably strengthened her in some ways. It, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. It can be so overwhelming that people can't deal with it. So that mm. definitely happens. You know, there's trauma that is just so big or so persistent mm. that it is just it overwhelms the human capacity to cope. But when we get it in sort of doses, you mm -hmm. know, hard moments or hard situations and doses, uh, you know, those things are part of what grow us up too. They're they're kind of all mixed together. Yeah, that's such a good point because pre previous to that experience, I never thought much of it. You know, I've I've heard about uh, other people having suicidal attempts. I've obviously seen some TV shows here and there and, you know, read stories, but having that experience firsthand just to see someone, you know, truly taught me a lesson, just like you said. And, you know, the healing journey is going to take time, uh, but th there's definitely growth in that. And I can confirm that because I saw my friends uh, after that situation much happier 
you know, just, uh-huh. just much happier and more resilient and just more positive about life in general. Because, you know, like instead of focusing on what went wrong, she really decided to change her perspective. And a lot of that actually stemmed from our conversation. And like, again, I can I can be positive, but I'm, I'm not always positive. So I'm just, I'm just glad that in our conversation, she took away some things from it. And she just said, well, okay, now I know I just need to work on this part, doing do this, that, and then I'm going to get sorted. So yeah, focusing on the solution. Obviously, it's it was hard for her to go through that process because I'm not going to say what it was, but it's challenging, you know, like when, when she felt like there was no way out and nice. she, you know, fi- finally found uh, a solution, a path to, you know, continue on with her life and enjoy life again. Like that just made me so happy. Um, yeah. But, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's not the same, right? Because again, we're talking about other people, uh, you know, network, um, having the care and support from others. So I think the the next question is actually sort of related to perhaps parts of what we just discussed, because this is one instance, right? What I told you is one story. And in your line of work, I'm sure you've encountered so many um, instances, not just stories, but, you know, people that you you meet with firsthand. Um, So I I wonder in your research, in your work, um, how how common is this? You know, how common is suicidal um, behaviors in our society or perhaps where you, you know, where you focus your study on? Yeah, well, it's it's shifted a little bit. I mean, it's um, it's at this point about well, and it also depends on whether we're talking, um, you know, at least here in the states. I can talk about the states better than any place because that's why I do my work. <laughs> um, I'd say about last year in in twenty twenty one twenty twenty two, we had about twenty percent um, young people saying that they ever had any suicidality. So that includes thoughts and behaviors. On the, so, uh, but attempts are a fairly small mm-hmm. portion of those, but there are a good number of people every year, every day who consider it in one form or another. They may even sort of start thinking about mm. the details. Um, and, um, and then, you know, it can either progress or pass like the acute nature of it can pass yeah. and they may or may not revisit it. But I think suicidal ideation is not as common, as I said, like, you know, there's a mm. good number of people who will visit it in their mind when something really hard happens. Mm. Um, but for most people, it is a fleeting thought in a moment of real deep hardship. And mm. then, you know, and then something happens and you go mm. on with your life. Wow, that's a, that's a, I don't know, it's just an insane statistic to hear yeah, I, don't, I don't know big. i don't know yeah. what to say yeah because i mean that's just the states what about other countries you know i know i'm just actually gonna quickly lift that up actually yeah i think um yeah while, while you're looking that up i think um one thing that i would l- love to share and may- maybe hear your perspective on is this is related to our next question what actually causes such behaviors because you said right there's a whole journey to it there's first of all the thought and then you know perhaps some uh i don't know like uh, perhaps even some planning about it and then finally the attempt and you know succession going through with it now i um i saw this uh, i've been seeing this um korean tv shows and uh most of it's about education 
And yeah. I know this about Korea that they're really like focused on studies and, you know, really serious about, you know, how they right. get into universities and things like that. And um, this is, a, a, you know, obviously a TV show, but I know that in real life it happened uh, as well because this is quite infamous uh, in South Korea that a lot of young adults commits, committed suicide just before they, you know, go through the entrance exam to university or something, you know, of the equivalent because of the stress. Um, and I know that this is true. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to say for anybody else. I just know that I saw this on the news um, every now and again. And, um, you know, from that TV shows, I just got, kind of got reminded. And I remember that they, they told the story of this, uh, you know, this girl who is, I think in grade 12 and she's about to, you know, go through her entrance exam. Um, and then one day she committed suicide. She just left a note uh, to her favorite teacher saying that, you know, you've been the strength uh, for me. But unfortunately, like I've been trying to be positive, but, you know, I just I've had enough. And, okay. you know, that that triggered her to you know actually go through with it. And I think that was heartbreaking for sure. Um, but I, yeah, that's just goes leads me back to the question. You know, sometimes we still have one or two people who still care about us, uh, you know, yeah. and who, who will still you know, help us to go through anything and sort of be that um, strength and be our mental support. Uh, but a lot of people, even with that, they still went through with suicidal attempts. So I wonder what actually triggers it. Because a lot of the time there should there, there's got to be some sort of triggers. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, just quickly looking at some data, though. Let me just quickly tell you that, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we love more data. So this was, I collected this, or I looked at this, this was like five or six months ago. So globally, one in seven teens age 10 to 19 experience a mental disorder uh, in general. Mm -hmm. Suicide is the fourth leading cause globally of death among 15 to 19 year olds. Mm. So it's, it's really pretty significant. Yeah, yeah, and I think it really depends. It's really variable by country, but the biggest burden is in, uh, you know, countries with more challenges, basically. Yeah. Uh, with less wealth and just hard, it's harder to live. So what gets people there? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah, uh, lots of things can, but you know, you touched on a big one: feeling of feelings of failure or anticipated failure. Um, especially since uh, people often assume that their failure is going to disappoint people that they love or mm -hmm. that they don't want to disappoint, like parents or others, other adults in their system. Um, perpetual. It's like chronic, perpetual feelings of distress. Uh, so sometimes you'll find people who have, you know, really hard family lives, for example, they're being abused or, or they've been, there was a, you know, there's, there's hidden stuff in the family that's just really damaging. Um, so they're dealing with that chronically growing up and it just starts to feel like they, they can't handle it anymore. It's overwhelming. They don't see, they don't see a path to, a life mm -hmm. where they can thrive and grow. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, so that those are the most common feelings from the inside that people have. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just wanted to take a pause there to take it all in because, you know, that that's a lot, especially when you mentioned young adults, you know, they probably don't have 
this information in the first place. And you know, yeah. the hard part about it is that for 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 people who have become suicidal, uh, because there's a lot of really understandable reasons. Like you know, yeah. you you hear the stories of of life, and you just think, wow, that is really hard. That is really intense. But sometimes there isn't an obvious path out. You know, what do you say to a young person who's who's being chronically abused by a parent, and they're still a minor, and they can't. You know, people, <laughs> that's, that's tough. Like there are some real, it's more than tough. There's some really sincere yeah. barriers that to, mm -hmm. to living full open body living that a lot of people have. Time really makes a big difference for, you know, so, but it's just a matter of sometimes it's hard to like feel like that. Like you have that many, it's like just a few years and so time reaching out to get help. Maybe sometimes you have to share secrets that you wouldn't otherwise share in order for somebody to be able to help you and know, and that can make an enormous difference, honestly, yeah. to not have to carry the burden yourself. But um, it takes courage and it takes strength. It takes resilience to get to the point where you know that in order for you to live, you're going to need to wade into really uncomfortable territory. And sometimes that means, like I said, you know, disclosing things that are big family secrets or just or, or that you've never said anything to anybody about, um, or we just reaching out in general and saying to somebody, I'm suffering and I could, I just, I need help. I need to not be alone in this. Mm -hmm. Um, that takes a certain amount of strength in the beginning. And then hopefully, you know, people can be met with at least enough support to kind of figure out how to make it manageable for the moment. And then slowly over time to be able to fully get out of whatever situation it is that seems to be triggering it. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, what what you mentioned is uh, definitely sort of some strategies for people who might need some help right now. Um, but what I notice is we don't have a lot of young listeners on the show. And it sounds to me like, you know, young adults get impacted a lot. And they tend to be the ones, you know, having suicidal thoughts or even behaviors nowadays, perhaps in other age groups as well. But since you mentioned the young adults group, I'm wondering if we're parents or if we are engaged with young adults on a daily basis, what can we do to notice when things go wrong and what can we do to help? Okay, I'll come back to that. But you're right. I hadn't actually really, I almost always get asked to talk about young adult and adolescent mental health, not everybody. But if we're going to talk about everybody for a moment, then I will let you know and let your listeners know that the, the group at highest risk for suicide is actually middle-aged men. Mm. Um, and that seems to be generated by, you know, I don't know, it can be feelings of low worth especially if they get let go or they're unable to provide when they were or they feel like they should or it's just you but that is really the group that's at uh, especially the highest risk um, um and also yeah that's that's yes. also scary to hear but yeah good to know, know definitely yeah 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 it is it is good to know and and you know oftentimes it's silent like they really just one of the things I know now that I'm middle-aged is I've had enough experience. Like if I don't want you to know what, how I feel, you really won't know how I feel. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's much easier for me to mask these days yeah. just because yeah. I have more experience doing that. So mm -hmm. I think it is challenging with um, full-grown, you know, middle-aged people 
who they just, especially men, they tend to often be quiet. They won't, they won't let anybody know that they're suffering. Mm -hmm. And then there's all of the stigma that men in general face around just, you know, having emotions, let alone sharing that they're having them. So Mm. it's tricky. Yeah. Um, It's harder than I think than adolescents in a lot of ways. Yeah. Absolutely. So actually, maybe we can tweak the previous question that I just threw at you and, uh, and share this from a broader perspective. You know, obviously, young adults, adolescents. Um, and I was asking about parents and people who, you know, engage with them on a daily basis or maybe frequently. Uh, but if we were to be broader in that sense than just anyone, then, you know, how can we notice this in anyone, just our friends or people in our networks or family? How can we notice the signs and how can we, what can we do to help? Okay, noticing is, um, is so first of all, first and foremost, trust your gut. Just trust your gut. Even if, you know, you're like, they seem normal. If your instincts are saying something's off here, you gotta trust it. Um, that's A. B, the kinds of things that you might notice, subtle or not, would be um, change in, a, you know, in affect, meaning emotion. So somebody will appear, can appear more withdrawn, more sad, um, less, like less engaged in general. Like, it, you know, the, the thing that will really drive suicide is a sense of hopelessness. So if you start to really notice your friend or your loved one, expressing or not, you know, just feeling more hopeless, either they're talking about that, or you can find they're disengaging from their lives in some ways that are meaningful, especially things that, you know, matter a lot to them. Those are, those are some signs. And it's not just signs of of suicide potential. It's the, you know, those are the signs we would tell you to look for, for somebody who's depressed or just struggling. And in all cases, the best thing to do is ask. I mean, just ask. I would ask, I tell somebody what you notice. It seems like I know you really well. It seems like it looks like you're doing okay, but it doesn't feel that way. It seems like you're with, more withdrawn. It's hard. You, you know, you don't. You want to. You talk a lot less to me. I feel like you're just way deep inside yourself. Whatever it is, describe what it is using I statements <laughs> that you're noticing. Say I care. I love you. Whatever. However you say that, just communicate it and. Um, and then ask, are you feeling suicidal? Have you had thoughts of suicide or ending your life? Are you struggling with feeling down or blue? And then the la- and then ask what you can do to help. Sometimes a person will know, sometimes yeah. they won't know. Um, a lot of times if you're feeling really down, you just don't know what people can do. So don't be surprised if they're like, oh man, I'm good. Don't worry about it. I, I, uh, I would tuck that away, but don't believe it. <laughs> and then I would start... Figuring out how am I going to support my friend or my loved one. So depending on the situation, it could be like they they may clearly not be fully suicidal, just you know going through a hard period. And then, based on what I know about them, I probably just consistently check in yeah. with them, reach out and check in. It doesn't mean every time. How are you? How are you? Because sometimes some when somebody's struggling, they don't want to give up. You know, daily reports. Maybe they do, but. But often it can also just be thinking about you. Do you want to go grab some coffee? Thinking about you. Do you want to go do something? Okay. One caveat, because, you know, we're talking, we've just been talking about men um, going out and getting drinks when somebody is not doing well emotionally is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. Alcohol and suicidal impulses do not mix Mm -hmm. at all. In fact, it makes it 
easier. So mm-hmm. I would not, don't, don't say, hey, do you want to go get drunk tonight or go to the bar tonight? I would not yeah. do that. I would actually yeah. stay away from that, do things that that entail that get good, healthy food, get nature, get mm-hmm. exercise in their bodies, because those are the kinds of things that are going to enhance capacity for resilience, yeah. usually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really important point. And thank you for mentioning that. Because for a lot of us, we might think alcohol solves everything, you know, especially if we don't know about this. So this insight would be very helpful, um, you know, and, and even in the context of us going through tough times, um, you know, best to stay away from alcohol if possible and, you know, yeah, try, really and, try and do something else that might be good for the body. Like you said, yeah. you know, be in nature, do some activities. Yeah. Yeah. It's really common for friends are like, let's just go out and party, you know, get your mind off things. But if, if somebody's really authentically struggling, meaning that, you know, it's they're not just having an off day. Mm. Um, that's a really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for mentioning that. Very important mm-hmm. point. Um, and to, to kind of round this out, now let's go back uh, to ourselves and, you know, look inwards. You know, the, the question that um, I really want to ask is related to us coping. So again, anything can happen. We know that we can reach out to other people. Um, we know that we can um, share what's going on and share the struggle and ask for help. But what else can we do? You know, the, in, in a sense of working on this ourselves and, and our team used the word, I think, very interesting, a more adaptive mechanism to deal with yeah. triggers. Um, I, I, yeah, I found that to be such an interesting phrase. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts? What, sh- what can yeah. we try to do? Yeah, there's, there's a lot, actually. Um, and, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all kind of with our just with ourselves, right? We kind of get born with ourselves, we'll die with ourselves, and we go through life in between. There's lots of people around we hope and we love, but it's really, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's important. So one one thing is just get honest, get honest with yourself. Mm. Just nobody's around, nobody's listening. If you feel like you're struggling, say, I'm struggling. Mm. And because sometimes just admitting vulnerability for people is really hard and they don't even know that they're struggling. They're resisting just admitting that they feel like they've been floored or need. They're just like down. It's okay. It's Mm. more than okay. Actually, that's the path to strength. Mm -hmm. True strength is recognizing when you're vulnerable and saying, I am open to the universe, whoever, to whoever you open to, just like, I need help. Um, and I, and I'm struggling. So that's one, just get honest. And, um, and then, you know, to the extent that you can get honest about what's going on with yourself and what the feelings are, I really recommend that it can really help to, to just write it down. Mm. Or sometimes, um, I'll speak it into my phone, into the, to the, recorder if I don't want to write sometimes I might want to walk like when COVID first hit I remember it's like I gotta move I just don't I don't have like you know there's a lot of anxiety when we were first all in COVID right those first few weeks so I would just go out and walk but I would record a journal Mm. entry while I was walking so that that can really be helpful just see what you can do to let things come up and out whatever it's going to be free associate whatever nobody's listening nobody's reading you don't share with anybody it's just you Mm. Uh, that's one thing and then the other thing would be to use um, the practices. So one is like, when you know you need help, if you know it's just it's just too much, you can't think clearly, like it's like, you know, maybe there's a path out of the situation, 
but you don't really know what it is, get help and re- reach out. It doesn't have to, you can be a friend or a therapist, somebody that might be able to think from the outside with you. Cause a lot of times there are outside perspectives that are helpful yeah. that you, that we don't think about. And then, and then beyond that, it's, um, you really are well advised to take good care of your body at, mm. at, while you're doing this. So if I'm struggling, I make sure that I get, that I have enough space in my life for healthy sleep. Sometimes when you're struggling, you sleep too much. So you have to be kind of, got to balance activity with rest. Yeah. But um, make sure I get regular healthy sleep. Make sure that I'm not eating junk food because that actually makes things a lot worse. Um, mm-hmm. Even though the tendency is to like eat the carbs and eat the sugar and eat the things that are going to make you feel good for a minute, not a great idea. Yeah. Um, make sure you're eating healthfully. And then time in nature really helps if it's possible. Not everybody lives in a place where they can access it, but most of us have sky and birds and trees usually or water. If you can find your way to nature, it can be very grounding and, and health, help, help, helpful. Beyond that, we recommend things like um, breath, breath work because mm. uh, a lot of times when we get really stressed out, we just kind of leave it's like we just leave our bodies we don't really i don't know we're separated from our bodies it can be really really helpful Mm -hmm. just take deep breaths to feel it go into your lungs slowly and then have it slowly go out actually just doing that regularly when you feel like you're stressed three four five however many you can before your mind wanders off to do something else um is can really help down regulate and and calm people down and then beyond that, there's other things like um, ex- expression. Usually when somebody's suicidal or depressed, um, there's something that isn't spoken mm. or there's some set of feelings that haven't gotten out that need to come out in some way. And it don't all have to be through words. Like for me, words are like the thing I do, right? It's kind of the way I, but not everybody's that way. So mm. art, uh, color, get canvas and put put color on it just mm, you know yeah uh drawing music sound sound is really powerful uh it may be tech it may be you may want to like turn on the like the highest amp i don't know you know at intense sound that you can but try the opposite try finding the sounds that soothe you and make a playlist so that when you're feeling amped up or agitated, it can actually calm you down. Music is super, super powerful. Um, water is really, really powerful for a lot of us. So if you have access to water and you can take a bath or you can, you know, so, sometimes if I were, when I, and there's been certain periods where I just didn't have access to a lot of my tools. So I would just go get in the shower and <laughs> like sit in the shower and yeah. let the water run. Yeah. Do I feel uplifted and great usually? No, but I, <laughs> do I get a little bit of spaciousness? Yes. That's yeah. what we're looking for. You're not mm. looking for a remedy right then. You're just looking yeah. for just a little bit more than I had before. Mm. So, and then the last thing would be just pay attention to you, uh, yeah. to yourself. Like what are the things you learned about yourself that are going to give you a, you know, authentic spaciousness yeah. and try to get, try to not, um, the tendency will be like, none of this is working. Nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to work. Blah, blah. That's the tendency. The mind is going to want to do that. You have to just say, that's not true. It's not true. It's the mm-hmm. one place where you have to tell yourself it is not true. Yeah. Things do help. 
and I'm go and I want to live. Mm-hmm. I want to feel better. So I'm gonna go against what you're telling me and, yeah. and try these things. Come along. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those would be the, those are some initial thoughts. Mm, yeah. Lots of tips. Lots of you know practical things that everyone can can try if ever they encounter such a situation where they needed some tools. So I think you've, you've equipped people with a lot of tools. And I really like the fact that you said, you know, it's going to work for you. You know, for you, it's words. For other people, it might be music, painting, other other things. For some people, it might yeah. be dancing, you know. Dancing, never, yeah, movement. Yeah. That's another thing. Movement is very helpful. Our bodies yeah. will will often feel a lot better. So exercise, but we're just moving, like just walking or sometimes if you're, you know, there've been times where if I'm in bed and it's like the middle of the night and I start to feel anxious, I'll just like do this, like pedaling with my feet back and forth. And it, yeah. the, the bipart, the, like the rhythm of it is helpful. Like whatever, yeah. <laughs> just try anything and see if you get a little bit of a, of a relief and then stick with that and add to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's really good advice that anyone can try. I think the most important thing that I picked up from all of this is you just got to keep these tools in mind. For, yeah. for when you need it because you know it's easy to to say yeah i know exactly what to do and then in 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 such situations sometimes the last thing you want to do is to actually try right so yeah i think it's just a yeah it's just a, an important thing to keep in mind that you have tools that you can use and you can just do that are so simple that you know let's not forget about them um and I think that is sort of like you covering the practice part that we were supposed to talk about. So, I mean, thank you. Instead of giving us one practice, you sort of gave us 20, I would say. And I, I really, I really <laughs> love all of them. I love all of them. Um, so maybe we can do this. Maybe let's pick one for for someone. So, you know, just for when they're struggling, they're like, I, I don't know. I don't remember anything that Janice said. because She said so many, so many things, but I've forgotten yeah. it all. So if we were to... Uh, really emphasize on one thing that they can do at that very moment when they're like, I'm feeling hopeless. There's nothing to work for anymore. Like I'm done. What is the one thing practically that they can do at that very moment to help them? Gosh, that's a tough question, but I think I'm going to say breathe. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking the same. Really breathe. Yeah. Mm. And when you breathe, let See if you can just bring your awareness to the breath. And by that, like, let it, let your, breathe in all the way into your belly. Start, you know, like you breathe into your belly first Mm. and then your chest and then up top. And you can feel like, I can instantly feel the air going into my lungs. It's really nice. Like, it's like, oh yeah. And then you can slowly let it out either through your mouth or through your nose and, you know, Hmm. And do that as many times as you can. See if you can also kind of um, move your fingers together. Mm. It'll hmm. bring your Go attention on. down yeah. to your down to your fingers and mm. often away from the thoughts. Mm. So, and then um, at the, so that's that's the one thing I would do. Mm-hmm. But I want to add one more little practice that yeah can be helpful, and that mm-hmm. is uh, what we would call a mantra practice. So a mantra is basically something you repeat, yeah. and there's like you know the the there's mantras in most most spiritual traditions of one sort or another, but this is this can be that this can be something that you have used and that you like, but uh, it can also be a mantra of the feelings you want to have right mm. then or soon, right? Yeah. So, for example, 
there was a period not long ago where I was having challenge with some people and it was causing me distress and it was causing us distress. It was some work-related stuff. And so I just started in my mind, whenever I started to worry about it, when I was driving or whatever, I just instead, I said, peace, love, compassion, and understanding. Mm. Peace, love, compassion, and understanding. And as I said it, I would feel those things a little bit. And yeah. uh, and as I just continued, like I would say when I was driving, like I could do a half hour of peace, love, compassion, understanding. I'd be standing in line and while I'm waiting, I'm like, <laughs> peace, love, compassion, understanding. But one of the cool, two, two cool things, one is I wasn't chewing on the bad stuff because mm. I was saying this. A mantra is often gives the mind something to do yep. too. But the other yeah. thing that's really cool, and you choose whatever words or word combinations work for, for you. Is so like those were just mine given the situation. Um, it Every time I say the word or some, some word, like especially when I said compassion, I could feel compassion inside me for yeah. me and I could feel compassion for the people and the other two people involved in the situation mm. and that feeling just soothed me it just mm. soothed me no matter whether it changed anything in the physical world although it did it was pretty cool the way that it did it was really neat I noticed it did have it seemed to have changes in my relationship even because when I came to the next conversation I'm like, I'm just going to repeat this in my head over and over and over. <laughs> and I was different and things yeah. were calm and yeah. it worked out beautifully. Mm. Yeah. So, so breath in mantra mm. um, is, is, can be maybe a very helpful technique to start mm. with. And then of course, I have to always say, you know, reach out for support. Even you don't have to give everybody all the details. You can just yeah. have a friend or a loved one say, I'm having a hard time. Can we go for a walk or go see a movie or, you know, mm -hmm. just don't be completely alone in it all the yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. I totally relate with that because, I mean, this is, uh, we have a bunch of questions in this section, as you might see, right? But I think they're they're not super applicable because you already covered all the very important parts of it. And um, if anything, to leave uh, listeners with, um, to, you know, truly embrace the practice that you just shared. Um, I, I do want to share my little story as well. This is my personal experience. It wasn't associated with any suicidal behaviors or attempts or even the, a thought, but um, this was me feeling the most down the, last year when I lost my cat. And um, what basically happened was I was in bed crying most of the time and um, I was still working you know to kind of get my mind off of it uh, but obviously I didn't want to get out of bed I didn't want to do anything didn't want to function apart from you know because work I have to work to you know yeah. take care of the other cats right so, right you know did, did not have the opportunity to take a break and still also like I felt like I felt like in in a way like I I don't think this is a suicidal thought but in a way I just wanted everything to stop and I didn't want to do anything. So fortunately for me, um, I told some friends about this and I wasn't the one reaching out. But what my friends did for me, I just, I'm just really, truly thankful is every morning someone would be like, are you up? Get up, get out of bed, go for breakfast with me. And that really helped because we would get back from breakfast and then I would get on with my work day. By the end of it, another friend would be like, how's your day been? Want to have dinner? I'm going to cook for you. So I'm constantly surrounded by 
my loved ones and I do not have the time to keep sulking. I mean, there was a lot of crying involved and, you know, it took a really long time for me to get over it. But um, I think the more of the story is if we have the right people in our lives, um, it will truly work out. And even if we don't, you know, just having the strength to, like you said, do things for ourselves, take care of ourselves, go out. Because what I found to be truly helpful is obviously, you know, when my friend left, I was on my way home alone. Yeah. But I did feel a little better, just a little better. Yeah by being outside of my home. Yeah, changing your environment yeah. can really, really help, you know? So, and then like, if I'm really down and I can't get anywhere, well, when I used to have Twitter, I don't really have to do it. <laughs> when I did, I used to scroll through and what, and look at the the sweet animal videos or whatever, yeah. right? And it's yeah. amazing how it really does. Yeah. It does kind of open. To, Go yeah. to a cat cafe. Yeah. Be, so you good. know, be around other, other an exactly. be around animals yeah. um, of some so sort. That, can make yeah. a really big difference. But yeah, just moving. I mean, that's one of the things around non-suicidal self-injury that people tell us yeah. how, like, how they stop mm -hmm. is they, they learn when they start to get the urge to just move mm. the environment so that yeah. they're home, they might go out for a walk. Yeah. And at least with non-suicidal self-injury, the impulse typically ends after or starts to diminish after about 20 minutes. So if you can, if you can move somewhere mm. else doing something, uh, if you can move, it's, it really does help to, to move your body um, for 20 minutes or so or be talking to a friend or something like that. It can really make a big difference. Yeah, that's a great point. That that 20 minutes might be very important for some of us. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Um, yeah, I've taken a lot of great points from today. Uh, I'm just going to let it all sink in. And I think uh, we can we can definitely learn a new, a new thing, at least a new thing today. Just try something different for ourselves and even just learn about the statistic. It's, yeah, it's just, I mean, I don't know what to say about that statistic. Um, I truly hope that if any anyone's listening to this um, and they're kind of having some reflection on the current situation at home, at work, or with their friends, um, or even within themselves, you know, I, I truly hope that it will, it will change something. Um, even just a small thing, you know, because a lot of the time these uh, little thoughts pop up because of a trigger, because of something that goes wrong or because you just, you know, you just don't find any way out and you just start having these thoughts. So hopefully today we um, we provide our listeners with some tools and to help them change um, their perspectives even just a little bit. Yeah. So that is what uh, we have covered. We actually had some questions from the audience, but uh, actually, you know what? You covered them all. Um, I have, uh, you know, questions here because, you know, how we can, how can we help others? We already covered that. And, you know, um, maybe just one little question from our audience that we have not really covered. I find this one to be really good is what are some things we should not tell people who exhibit suicidal tendencies or a lack oh, of will to live. One. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, first of all, don't tell them, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It'll pass. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, or why don't you just go do blah, blah, blah. Don't try to give them advice to, to make it better. Just listen, just, you know, you, what you want to communicate is tell me I'm here or talk to me or, you know, I know, and I know that things can, life can be really hard and I'm, you know, let's, there's space for it. Okay. So that's, so don't tell them they'll get over it. 
in any way, shape or form or that it's not as intense as it feels like it is to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're really worried about your friend being or your loved one being actively suicidal, like then don't leave them. Like, you know, even if you have to make excuses to stay, sorry about that. Um, even if you have to make excuses to stay, don't leave them. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, cause you just never know. And sometimes the, you know, it can get kind of acute, especially if it's at, at night or something, you just want to make sure that they're not alone and that they have the supports they need. Uh, what else? Don't. I think we covered it. You really just want to make space for the experience. You don't want to minimize or dismiss. That's the biggest mistake people make, especially guys with other men with other men. They're like, oh, dude, you know, it'll get better. Mm. And that may be true, but for some people, it really isn't true. And it just ends up feeling like basically when you say that, you're basically saying, I'm not available to talk to about this because I don't think it's a big deal. Yeah. Very important points. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think this question is a, such a good one. Yeah, from from all the audience questions, this really caught my eyes. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. Also sure. important for us to interact with people in the right way because we don't want to be, as much as we would like to help, we also don't want to be the cause of it because sometimes it can be the little things that people say that triggers others. Like that's what I've noticed and that's also very dangerous. So yeah, we want to do our part as well and, and be a good friend, be a good colleague, be a good family member and whoever we can be. So that really, really this time has really wrapped up all of the questions for you about the topic. Uh, I'm sure you can go on about it and I can go on about it with you as well because I I feel like there's even more to cover. But in the interest of time, uh, we respect your time. We're so grateful you're here. So we just want to wrap this up really nicely and ask you to share with us um, something in in the section we called Open Mic, something that you're passionate about uh, or something that you know, has really got your interest these days. And you mentioned something to me earlier that I think uh, would be a really good topic. So Janice, go for it. Hmm, well, I don't know what open, how much open mic is open mic, but basically what you, when you and I spoke about it, I said that one of the things I'm really paying attention to these days is just how different this time feels and is, you know, so somebody who was born I was born in the 60s, so a long time ago, and I now have like half of my life pre-2000 and will probably have about half post-2000. Um, so I've gotten to see and feel a lot of what the world has felt like during that time. And as you, you know, everybody knows, it's just been a lot of changes, right, since then, mm-hmm. including introduction to the internet and so forth. But I'm really, really noticing that as we sort of inch our way closer to 2030, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of political instability. There's a lot of earth changes. There's a lot of like big, big things that feel like they're overwhelming and we don't really know what's happening. And I'm watching as everybody, but especially since I pay attention to young people in particular, I'm watching rates of anxiety and self-injury and depression and suicidality just climb because I think there's just a lot of uncertainty about what's happening uh, in general, you know. So I'm wondering where that's going to go. I'm wondering whether the ways that we understand uh, even mental health are going to have to change Mm because we typically, for example tend to think about mental health as starting in the person or at least in the person's life. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we're at a stage now where 
the external environment, whether it's climatological changes, political changes, just like the global instability, pandemics, possibility for more, um, is so present in the larger environment that we're starting to reflect like our levels of anxiety are starting to reflect that. So for example, if you have a fish in a really dirty tank, the fish is going to get sick. <laughs> like it's not because yep. the, the fish has problems yeah. or would have, you know, so I'm feeling like we are probably at a point where we have to start looking at how all of this is affecting even what we would think of as sort of healthy functional humans. Um, that aren't otherwise struggling or wouldn't, their struggles wouldn't otherwise make a lot of sense. And then what do we do about that? You know, so that's a much bigger question, but that is the the thing that I chew on probably the most um, is this question. Cause obviously you can't tell the fish just breathe. And I mean, you can, <laughs> well, actually it may not make a lot of sense to a fish, but you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I know these exercises can be helpful and they yeah. probably are at the end of the day, no matter what helpful, even if the world was coming to an end, probably just breathe <laughs> because <laughs> like, what can you not, cause you can't control. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as somebody who's really interested and worried about, uh, or thoughtful about how we create environments that are healthy for people and also for other species and the planet. Yeah. I have larger questions that yeah. are at this point not answerable, but a lot of the stuff that I read and watch and think about is in that domain. Mm. At this yeah, point. exactly. Which is why I said to you earlier, all of the things that you shared, not right. recommendations per se, but things that inspire you, they have a theme and I could kind of sense that. And yeah, really, thank you for sharing um, uh, a, a lot of your, not just your insights, but, you know, your personal interest and passion today. Um, I'm really inspired by our conversation. And I think um, as much as we've provided our listeners with the tools, I've picked up a few things from it as well. Um, I hope everyone enjoy the conversation and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Um, yes. And yeah, just uh, before we let you go, where can our listeners find out about your work? And, you know, if you would like to share anything else with us before you go, please do. Oh, it's a really good question. I don't, um, probably the best thing to, I don't have a website that's just for me. I keep thinking I should do that, but I don't know. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Uh, you can go to my LinkedIn page if you want to find yeah. out more about, about me to some degree, and you can reach out to me through there. Um, and then you can also go to self-injury and recovery resources. If, if you just Google's Cornell and self-injury, I think it, my website comes up and that's, we have lots and lots of resources for yeah. non-suicidal self-injury and that kind of thing. And um, I think you can contact me through there too. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. and thanks again You're for welcome. being here. Um, I wish we could continue talking about this topic, even though it's such a hard topic to talk about because I think it's truly important. Uh, but given the topic that you just shared earlier, I have a feeling that you might want to start even a, 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 an even bigger project for yourself. So maybe, I'm just saying, not sure, maybe in five years, we'll see a whole piece of different research and you're probably in a whole different domain by then. You know, I so, yeah, that'd be nice, actually. I'd like know, that. We don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, uh, definitely. We would love to have you back sometimes. Uh, but yeah, today has been really great. So thank you again for being here. 
Thank you, Lou. I really appreciate it. It's been great. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.